Welcome to another episode of On the Issues with Alain Benmir. Today's guest is Ahmet Yala, Director of the Center for Homeland Security at DeSales University and a fellow at George Washington University's Program on Extremism. Dr. Yala is a 20-year veteran of the Counterterrorism and Operations Department in the Turkish National Police and served as Chief of Counterterrorism in San Lirfa, Turkey. In this episode, they discuss corruption under Erdogan, Turkey's role in Syria and the broader region, and Turkey's prospects for the future. First of all, I really want to thank you for for coming. I mean, I did not know you coming specially <laughs> no, no, no. for the podcast. That's fine. I really, I really you. appreciate I it. I thank you for the invitation. And and I think, you know, it's a really very important time, uh, specifically what's because of what's going on in, in Turkey itself and what's going on here in the United States. And what I wanted to hear from you in general terms, where what do you see going on in Turkey at this juncture? We can later deal with some of the okay. details. Mm-hmm. So, Turkey is deeply divided uh, between the people who are supporting Erdogan and who are against his uh, regime. I call it a regime now because Erdogan literally became a dictator, yeah, a brutal dictator, um, lawless dictator. And the people who support Erdogan, I think we need to categorize them as well. Some are doing it ideologically. They think and believe that uh, Erdogan represents the religion of Islam and through their ideologies they must support him as if like he is the expected one in fact the director uh, and the founder of Sadat uh, Erdogan's former chief military advisor Tanrıverdi, Adnan Tanrıverdi two weeks ago said that they are preparing the times for the upcoming Mehdi Mahdi. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like the upcoming of the Messiah. Yeah, Messiah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the second is, there is a large population in Turkey, Erdogan has been supporting financially. Not only by providing jobs, but also giving direct uh, money, like monthly salaries or aid. But after he lost uh, Ankara and Istanbul uh, mayorships, that support or the distribution of goods and money declined significantly. However, there are still some people. The third is Erdogan fired thousands of people. For example, 35,000 people from the Turkish National Police. Fired them? Fired them, purged them and imprisoned them. I see, yes. So totally around 200,000 people, doctors, officers, professors, military officers, you name it. They and were that fired. is under the guise of because they are Gulenists uh, or accused of being Gulenists? Accused of being Gulenists and pro coup. So basically, they I were see. fired and purged because they deemed to be supporting the coup. When you look at the populations, um, there are even like Shia, uh, Turkish Shia, Alevi people, uh, leftists, but he uses uh, that blanket term to label all his enemies as Gulenists so that he can deal with them in one package. Yes. But it didn't stop there. He replaced all those officers with more numbers, uh, with the people who are loyal to them without looking at their qualifications. Right. All of a sudden you started to see like professors who 
do not have PhDs, for example. <laughs> or he fired 35,000 police officers and police chiefs, and instead he rehired over 80,000 new officers who are not qualified, mostly not well-trained, but their only qualification is being close to Erdogan. Beyond that, he hired 22,000 night guards with extensive authorities like police officers. This year, he is hiring 8,000 more. So when you look at all these new officers, they are loyal to him because they are hired by him and they know why they are hired. Under normal circumstances, they yes. also know that they would not be able to hire. Yes. So those three groups are supporting Erdogan extensively. My question, now he's hiring all of these people. The Turkish economy has been has declined in the last several years. And uh, so where, where is he getting the funds, the money, to hire these many people and still support financially his base, that is to continue to provide, uh, you know, some economic uh, support and, and aid to his base because his those who follow him are, have been following him specifically because they benefited mm -hmm. from his initial economic development. And so where is he getting the funds for now? From where? So I think there are, um, again, two or three ways to explain uh, how he is financing. The, f the first is he is deeply corrupted. He... Um, constructed a lot of bridges, highways. Um, he is now working on this uh, Canal Istanbul project. And all these projects uh, were given, the bids were given to his friends. There are around seven companies in Turkey who are, which are extremely loyal to Erdogan, who, uh, which are owned by Erdogan's very close friends, in some cases uh, by his family members. Um, in fact, in the world, according to the UN, top 10 government uh, contract, uh, among the top 10 government contract receiving companies, five of them are Turkish, uh, which are very close to Erdogan. Uh -huh. So when he is awarding these contracts to these companies, first, they make sure that the prices are tripled, uh, quadrupled. So the contracts are awarded at very high prices. Of course, there is a reason behind that. He gets a cut, oftentimes around 20%. And of course, this is not an official cut. And also, he uses um, government banks to finance those projects. On paper, these are free projects that are carried out in the name of the government, and the companies are going to benefit for around 30 years from the revenues of those projects are going to be bringing in but oftentimes, they do not bring any revenue. The government pays back. So, so who is paying for the project? Uh, the Turkish people, at the end of the day. Because the Turkish banks are oftentimes support financing those projects, like Istanbul Airport. Right now, the new Istanbul Airport is losing a lot of money. And the people are paying for it. Yeah. Just by closing Atatürk Istanbul Airport, uh, Turkey lost over 400 million dollars because they had to pay the company who was running, which was running um, the airport. Right. So this comes out from uh, Turkey's budget, but behind the scenes, Erdogan gets a 20% cut, which is 
like billions of dollars. That's mm-hmm. number one. Number two is Qatar-like countries. Erdogan is very close with Qatar. Uh, keeps supporting Erdogan. And of course, in return, Erdogan provides um, like uh, other types of returns back to the Qatari emirates. Like such as, what does he offer Qatar? Um, for example, the emir is protected by the Turkish military in Qatar. Uh, the emir owns a lot of businesses, like very lucrative businesses in Turkey, not directly, but indirectly. Even now, uh, the emir's mother purchased large lands um, by the Canal Istanbul project, which means those lands are going to be maybe tripling or quadrupling uh, once in the project value. starts. Yes, in revenue. So basically, uh, the Qatarians are getting a lot of uh, investment in Turkey uh, at very low prices mm-hmm. in return. Um, the third is Erdogan has been in power almost 20 years now. Yeah. And he has been doing this. And if you go back to 17 December 2013 operations, through these kickbacks and the commission he gets from government contracts, he, in his basement, in Istanbul basement, had over $1 billion in cash. Um, and he called his son that morning, very silently told him to get rid of the cash. And his son, Bilal, asked him, how can I do it? It's too much. Um, but Erdogan insisted that he zeroes the money. In fact, this became a new term. Uh, in Turkish, sıfırla, in English meaning make it zero. Uh, so wh- what do they do with this cash? So they hid it uh, at different places. Um, at the end of the day, they used, I think, three trucks to hit the cash, uh, hard cash. Uh, and when B- uh, Erdogan called Bilal that evening, Bilal told his father, there are there is around 28 million euros left that we could not hide. So Erdogan's son-in-law, Berat Albayrak, offered them to purchase eight villas from a prestigious uh, project at the Bosphorus. And Bilal told his father, we decided to buy those eight villas and we are going to give that money to the owner of that project. Erdogan came out and said, no, that's a lie. We are not doing such a thing. But a few months later, uh, the registration paperwork and the bank wirings to the name of uh, that company from uh, Albayrax came out. So essentially, they purchased those eight villas with that 28 million euros. So a combination of these three basically supports Erdogan's ongoing not only the corruption, but also finances behind the scenes. Uh, from the government budget perspective, he established a lot of new agencies to bring together all the uh, different budgets of uh, government companies so that he can spend that money freely. So so this money, is that? are you suggesting that this is money is being paid as salaries for all these people that he's recruiting who are loyal to him? 
Uh, that money is coming from the government, not coming from the kickbacks. I see. Mm-hmm. What is he doing with that money from the kickback? I mean, is it in a Swiss banks? Uh... According to one leaked American uh, Ankara embassy document, yes, he had seven Swiss bank accounts. Uh, there are different rumors. Nobody knows where he is hiding his money. But up to $200 billion dollars. According to the calculations, billion or B, million with B, two hundred billion dollars uh, is at the expense of Erdogan. He can use that money however he likes, and he is using the Qatari Emir, his other connections in the region. Um, in fact, after seventeen uh, December two thousand thirteen, he went to Malaysia with a private jet. Uh, some people claim that he. Um, hit some gold in that country so we don't know where the money is that was the reason the American Congress and uh, some senators uh, passed a resolution to investigate Erdogan's wealth there, there is there was a paper a research paper basically claimed that Erdogan is the richest leader in the world oh yeah well I'm I'm, I'm not surprised <laughs> so so w- So this is the reality today. What is the consensus? I mean, what do you hear from the Turkish people? I know his popularity is, is dipping, uh, going from almost 50% to around 40-41% nowadays. Uh, and if, this, if there is to be a new election today, fair and free, he will not win. No, definitely. But there will be no election anyway until not till 2023. So he's got for three, at least three plus years to go. Uh, so, and he's in the interim, the political dynamics in the country is changing as a result from the municipal elections uh, and the growing strength of various political parties. Do you see any prospect that he, that can, he can be and he can be unseated politically through fair and free elections? At this point, no. And the reason I say that, because when I look at what he is doing currently, I feel and fear that he is getting ready for a revolution. And I also talk about it when I was... With, uh, a revolution to, to what end? Uh, I talk about this after the coup, uh, during... Uh, a speech I gave as a witness at the Congress, Erdogan understands that he is not going to be able to stay in power through a democratic mean, through the elections. So for him to gather the support of the Anatolian Turkish Muslims, the conservatives in Turkey, uh, is through establishing an Islamic state, Sunni Islamic state. We don't have to like name it a Sunni Islamic State like the Iranian Islamic Republic, but everybody understands that where he is going and there are clear signs that he is intending to at least announce such a move so that he can regather uh, some of the support he lost. Uh, as his former military advisor openly said that he is paving the pathway for the Messiah, And clearly they are signaling something. Erdogan is the one who is going to bring back... 
But do, do you really believe? Do you really think he is a religious man, and he really no, believes that? No, he is that? using religion as a, as a power, tool. As a tool. As a tool. It's only a window dressing for him. Okay. So, so let me ask you this: He is approaching seventy, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Approaching seventy years old, and he is accumulating this kind of wealth. He knows he is mortal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to pass away one form or another. Uh, within five years and ten years, but there are limitations. Do you see what are his plans from your perspective? Where do you see this is going? He knows he cannot retain power forever. Is he preparing anyone else to take over? Who is he preparing? He is preparing his son-in-law, Barat Albayrak, who is currently the Minister of Finance, in charge of all financial activities. That's the reason he is also very comfortable with spending money. Uh, so... He is preparing him to take over from um, him, but he's not going anywhere. So that's the reason I claim he is getting ready for a revolution. And through that revolution, he is going to be able to claim that he is establishing like a new Ottoman state. uh, And the leadership is going to pass from him to his son-in-law. So basically becoming a succession. Yes. Just like uh, some of the... Um, all of the Gulf states. Yes. Basically, the succession. And he talked about it also. He talks about it openly. He's not shy about it. Uh, last week, there were a few articles about Berat al-Bayrak is being prepared and groomed f- to replace Erdogan once the time is right. So, so does he need to, un- to actually undertake uh, or revolution for that matter? I mean, right now, the, the Turkish parliament is a pretty much rubber stamp. Yes. Whatever he wants, he can get from the parliament. So what does he need the revolution for? So when I say revolution, uh, I talk about it like rhetorically. I don't think he is going to label it as a revolution, but he compares himself with Kemal Atatürk, the founder of yes, Turkey. Yes, absolutely. Um, and he thinks and believes that he is a lot better than, than Atatürk. Kemal Atatürk. Of yes. course. And Atatürk carried out a revolution and established the modern Turkish state. And he wants to be the one who basically ends that reign. He is extremely upset the fact that Turkey is a secular state. Uh, Yes, he is not a real religious man. He is deeply corrupted. He doesn't observe uh, people's rights, which which is the core of religion in every religion, in every Abrahamic religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he uses the religion uh, as a good tool, a great tool for him to stay in power. And he basically deceives the Anatolian people who mostly do not read, only get their news by watching TV stations. And in Turkey, Erdogan controls all those TV stations. There are yes. no opposition. He controls the media yes. pretty much com- yeah. uh, you know, completely. I... Um, do you think when, you, when you're talking about changing the system, that is, uh, creating succession, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, that when you, and you, you use the word revolution, I know you're not saying revolution per se, but he would not need, if he were to do that, he would not need the parliament anymore. Are you suggesting that one of his plans is also to get rid of the parliament? No, I am not. I think he's going to keep the parliament. As, so, as a facade? Yes. As there fa- must be a legitimacy for his uh, reign and term. Yes, he passes any uh, legislation he wants. So I think he is going to have 
his son-in-law elected. So it's going to be seen like uh, as an election. And of course, there are uh, threats. He is not 100% sure about the military and what the military's reaction is going to be. And also, he's not 100% sure about Russia. Uh, because right now, he is in bed with Putin. Yes. And one of the most well-known and powerful pro-China and Russia men in Turkey, though Perinçek, is helping Erdogan. But eventually, these two are going to try to get rid of each other. So Perinçek wants a leftist uh, and nationalist rule in Turkey. Erdogan wants just the opposite. Um, so he doesn't feel safe, at least yet. That's the reason he keeps hiring uh, loyal people to him. Yeah. So let me go back to the military. Mm -hmm. When the Republic was established, Ataturk basically assigned the military to be the custodian yes. of Turkish democracy and bring it closer to the West, and he did all of these things to make it as a secular state. And the military remained the custodian, and on three different occasions, the military intervened and removed prime ministers who were leaning more towards Islam and making the country more Islamist, as you well mm -hmm. know. Now, in the coup of, of um, July to 16, he basically fired the top brass yes. of the military mm -hmm. and replaced them with also loyalists. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yes, but not all of them loyal to Erdogan. In fact, most of them maybe are loyal to Perinçek. That shady uh, um, defense minister, like uh, ghost defense minister behind the scenes. So, so are you saying that there's a still potential that the military in Turkey may intervene and like they did before and get rid of the of the of the government of this government of his government or so himself let me explain it a little bit more uh, when erdogan decided to go with the july 16 uh, july 15 2016 coup attempt his idea was to replace or fire and purge all the military personnel including the top generals mm -hmm. who would be opposing him in the future or potentially opposing him at the time. And those generals included all the secularists um, by whom, whom uh, were labeled as Gulenists, um, some leftists and Alevi, uh, mm -hmm. Turkish Shia uh, uh, officers. The generals particularly who were left were either 100% loyal to Erdogan, whose numbers are very, very limited, like extremely limited. The rest were uh, the generals who were loyal to Perinçek, Doğu Perinçek. Who is that? Doğu Perinçek is a former leftist uh, terrorist leader, a Maoist terrorist, terrorist leader from the 60s in Turkey. Eventually, he established Workers' Party. Mm -hmm. But during 60s and 70s, he sent a lot of uh, students to military academies. And essentially, he uh, has a lot of followers at the very high ranks of the Turkish military. For example, the recently retired Turkish chief of military intelligence, Ismail Hakkı Pekin, 
like the number two of the Turkish military, is very loyal to him. He was his, he became his deputy soon after he retired. He highly talks about him. Um, he, he even came to the United States uh, to talk about Perinçek and his activities and why they are supporting Erdogan. There are thousands of um, those high-level officers in the military, still they exist, uh, who are very loyal to Perinçek. And Perinçek works with the Russians. So Erdogan's concern is, through that connection, the military can make a maneuver uh, to take him down. Of course, he trusts the director of the Turkish National Intelligence, uh, who is like his right-hand uh, man, and he believes that he is going to let him know. But when it comes to military, you never know. Mm -hmm. The Ju July coup attempt was basically staged. Everybody knew what was going to happen, and Erdogan wanted to use that to his own benefit. Mm -hmm. Let me let me switch the subject a little bit and go to Turkish incursion or invasion of Turkey mm -hmm. of Syria. What what where things stand from your perspective today nowadays, and what is the ultimate objective of uh, Erdogan in Syria? I mean, I've been I've 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 always felt that he wants to establish permanent foothold in Syria. Do you subscribe to that, or do you think he has a different kind of agenda? Obviously, he wants to prevent the Syrian Kurds from mm -hmm. establishing any kind of autonomous rule because this could have an effect on on Turkish Kurds. Mm -hmm. Where do you see that going? What's happening? So I think I think there are a few uh, inputs to his um, thinking scheme from uh, different perspectives. When the Arab Spring started in 2010 or 11, uh, afterwards in 11, he started to uh, go to different Arabic countries to visit them to boost his popularity, like Algeria, Tunisia, Egypt particularly when the Muslim Brotherhood was ruling in Egypt. And the people around him, who were very close to the Muslim Brotherhood, pumped this idea to him that you represent the Sunni Islam, you should be leading the Sunni Islam as like uh, a no neo-Ottoman sultan. Turkey has the power, the means, uh, and you are trustable. Therefore, why should not you take back the flight um, towards that direction. And he subscribed to that uh, idea being being uh, the leader of the Sunni Islam. And of course, the Saudis did not like that. Of course. Yeah, but from this perspective, he started to um, support the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas extensively, like very openly. He's not shy about it. Mm -hmm. He used the Turkish state military intelligence towards uh, that mean, uh, those means. All the while, when these were happening, uh, particularly with the establishment of the Islamic State and the Jabhat al-Nusra fighting against Bashar Assad, uh, the foreign fighters uh, issue came into uh, the scene. And Erdogan very much understood that if he let go those fighters through Turkey and join uh, the fight against Bashar Assad first, and then with the uh, Islamic State, YPG in Syria, because YPG was one of the uh, most powerful um, military presence in Syria 
other than uh, Bashar Assad's forces. That would work very well for him because with those foreign fighters, he could kill um, two of his worst enemies in Syria, which would um, benefit uh, to him in Turkey as well. So what we saw is around 65,000 foreign fighters uh, went through Turkey without being stopped to join in those terrorist organizations. According to his calculations, it would take around six months um, for these uh, organizations to deal with Bashar Assad. But the Americans... So when you say deal with Bashar Assad, uh, what do you mean? So he was calculating at the beginning of the Arab Spring around 2000, uh, after, after the beginning of the Arab Spring around 2013 and 14, uh, Bashar Assad could be taken down like very fast. In fact, in one of his speeches, he said, uh, in around six months, we are not going to see Bashar Assad. He's going to be gone. Uh, but the Russians intervened, started to support Bashar Assad, and the Iranians were also uh, supporting. So his plans didn't go uh, that well. And the Syrian government stayed in power. But all the while these were happening, he was so openly supporting those terrorist organizations, he couldn't back up, uh, particularly with uh, the Al-Qaeda affiliates. The third issue is uh, when these flows started to happen towards the direction of uh, these terrorist organizations, he used Turkish institutions to establish presence in Syria, like IHH, the Humanitarian Aid Organization. In fact, IHH used its um, uh, facilities to help Al-Qaeda. Turkish Red Crescent, Diyanet, to uh, run mosques or send their imams to Syria. And eventually, with the Afrin and Al-Bab, uh, Turkey established a presence in the region to help those people. And from his understanding now, he's not going to leave Syria because he wants to keep that corridor against the PKK and the YPG Kurds. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he wants to be able to provide some safe haven uh, uh, to some of the refugees or mostly the Al-Qaeda affiliates running away from Idlib now. So the, 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 you know, his um, effort to establish this corridor, mm -hmm. which he basically was able to secure at this point, uh, do you think uh, the, uh, he's going to really um, uh, get the Syrian refugees, there's three million plus in Turkey itself, move at least must, must, some of them or most of them to this corridor or this is just another ploy for him I to... I think both. To, uh, because when he started those operations, his popularity was also very um, at the dip. Um, but with the war in Syria, all of a sudden, people started to re-support him, particularly nationalists in Turkey. That's one part of it. The second part, the Syrian militias, they believe that he is the caliph. In fact, there is a video, uh, you can see it on Twitter, one of the Syrian uh, militia commanders, he openly says to the video recording that Erdogan is the caliph, he represents Islam. If he orders them to fight in Libya, as he did now, they are going to go to Libya and die for him. And because Erdogan represents in their mindset the religion of Islam, therefore, that military uh, attempt was in the name of the religion, 
mm-hmm. which kind of makes all those people loyal to him. Mm-hmm. So with these operations, he's increasing his loyalty and his base uh, in the Middle East uh, among mostly the Muslim Brotherhood and their supporters. But at the same time, yes, he is moving some of the refugees from Turkey to the corridor in Syria. Yeah. Do you do you think his scheme or his effort to expand Turkish influence in the Middle East and North Africa, do you think it is a it is sustainable or you know given the continuing instability throughout the Middle East, do you think what he's trying to do can be sustained? Uh, no. It cannot be sustained. Uh, like when we look at Libya, what's happening in, in Libya right now, um, Erdogan is supporting uh, the Tripoli government. Uh, the Russians and the Saudis are supporting the Haftar government. That's right. So Erdogan seemingly a good ally of Putin, but now now they are crashing in Libya against each other. So this is like dancing in different weddings at the same time and it is impossible to sustain in the long run i see that's a good analogy so i mean which is bring me to the question um that is you know he uh, rohani of iran and mm-hmm. and putin met number of times and I, I, from as i see it and read into it they have an agreement pretty much right now where what to do with syria at least for the next few years. Do you think that uh, that kind of an arrangement, I mean, given that Erdogan was against Bashar Assad, and to a great extent he remains mm-hmm. against Bashar Assad, but then he is in, is in bed, so to speak, with Rouhani and, and Putin. How is it working at this at this point? And, and now there's another, another conflict, as you just mentioned, in mm-hmm. Libya itself. Uh, you know, so how, how is this... Where do you see this relationship between Putin, Erdogan, Iran, Rouhani is going? It is extremely complicated because uh, based on the Astana agreement, yes, uh, Rouhani, Putin and Erdogan agreed that they were going to keep Idlib uh, and they were not going to disturb the people in Idlib. But right now the Syrian forces and the Russian forces are bombing Idlib. And in fact, as of today, they, I think, captured back uh, over 30 villages. Around 800,000 people are running away from Idlib. And the Russians are very brutal. They keep bombing hospitals and schools. And those 800,000 people are going to end up at the Turkish borders very soon. Uh, So Erdogan is extremely upset. And in fact, he spoke against Putin. And he openly said that this was not what we agreed for. But Putin keeps ignoring him. Um, Erdogan made his biggest mistake by countering and alienating the West. He thought... Uh, by blackmailing the West, particularly the Europeans, with the exodus of the migrants, uh, immigrants in Turkey, uh, basically being the gatekeeper of the refugees ag- uh, at the gates of Europe, uh, he could continue to blackmail them. Uh, but that alienated from him, uh, him from the West extensively and put him on the lap of Putin. Uh, with the purchase uh, of S-400 missiles, which, which was like the biggest step in the Turkish history uh, against the NATO and the West, now he is almost like 100% tied to Putin. And Putin is also aware of that fact because there is no backing anymore. Those batteries are installed um, and almost they are going to be started to use 
in a few months. So therefore, Erdogan needs Putin. And he made all these purchases. Um, he is not going to be able to counter Putin so, openly. So you think that in spite of the fact that they don't have the same interest in Libya, mm-hmm. or they're diff- they are backing different you know, different groups, such as one is uh, uh, backing the Tripoli government, the other one is backing the Haftar government. Haftar government. And in spite of the fact that there is also differences in terms of what's going on in Syria, he's still against Bashar Assad, Putin and Rouhani support support um, uh, the Bashar government, Assad government. And then you have the issue with, with um, on the other hand, he still has like you just said, uh, he purchased the, the S-400 uh, and it will soon become operational. And so there is, there is like, you know, there is conflict between the two sides and there's also mutual interest. Mutual interest is, I think, more than uh, conflict. And both of them are hypocrites when it comes to those conflicts. I think behind the scenes, they are dealing with each other very nicely uh, because they know they need each other in the long run. Particularly Erdogan is the weaker point here. Uh, but when it comes to the media, they say stuff that they would not say to each other face to face. And do you think that uh, Erdogan will continue to be able to blackmail the West because of the, the you know, Turkey is a, you know, the crossroad for the gas and oil flowing into the European countries and because of the refugees? Um, I mean, there's a, obviously a tension between European countries and Erdogan, specifically NATO members mm-hmm. and, and Turkey. Do you think that in the sh- in, in, at one point there's going to be breakdown or they, they will have to continue to cooperate because the other choices are considerably worse? I think number two. Uh, so far, even though Erdogan has been hammering the West, the EU particularly, they did not counter Erdogan directly. Yes, there were some measures to slow him down, but each time Erdogan became victorious. Uh, Merkel was um, in Turkey last month. Again, uh, the EU decided to give money to Erdogan to support the refugees. This refugee deal that Erdogan keeps cutting with the Europeans uh, by threatening them is ongoing. Unfortunately, the Europeans cannot say no to Erdogan at this point, it looks like. Mm-hmm. I see. Is there any any other observation you would like to share? Um, of course, like nobody knows what's going to happen uh, if you look at how the Arab Spring started. Like one man burning down himself alive sparked a lot of movements in the Arab world. Turkey is boiling right now. The economy is not good. Uh, People are suffering, particularly uh, the majority of working class is extremely poor, a lot poorer than what they were. And 2020 is not going to be easy for Erdogan and for, for the people of Turkey. There is no rule of law. So nobody knows what is going to happen in the near future. Yes, Erdogan might plan to stay in power for a long time, but uh, historically, when we look at all different uh, events that kicked these dictators out of power, 
there might be a spark that easily would replace Erdogan with a new government. But right now, he is keeping his powers in Turkey. Now, one final question in this regard. The, 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 the growing strength mm-hmm. of the opposition parties, do you think he will be able to temper that, interfere with that, or is he going to allow these political parties to operate and operate by and large freely until the next election, or he's going to try to stamp that? He is trying his best to um, decrease their influence. He controls all the media. Uh, he keeps imprisoning uh, journalists, uh, threatening them. So, like the opposition is under very uh, operating under extreme st- uh, stresses. Uh-huh. Uh, but nobody knows because the more he opposes against them openly, the more people sidelines themselves with the opposition. Yeah. So this is a dilemma for Erdogan. He cannot mm-hmm. do it openly, but with the HDP, like the uh, Kurdish uh, party in Turkey, uh, he has been imprisoning their um, members. Yeah. The, he's, he has been firing their mayors, but he has not done yet with the other political parties. So in, in the final analysis, do you think he'll succeed in the end to get his way? No, he is not going to su- uh, be successful. No dictator in the world, in the history, succeeded. We have a lot of examples. We have Hitler, we have Qaddafi, we have Saddam Hussein. So Erdogan is playing his last minutes. I don't know how uh, he is going to be gone, uh, but I know his end is going to be very miserable. He is deeply corrupted. He is a brutal dictator, literally. And we know all the dictators ended up in well, the pit of hell in this world. I'm more than happy to end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank You're you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.